Welcome to the favorites, the podcast from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman. And listen, folks, the betting world is abuzz right now. You'd think after the NFL season ends, things would calm down a little bit, but it has not. The universe of speculation and risk and investment is spinning at a Tasmanian devil pace, not just memorabilia, not just trading cards. A lot of professional bettors are at the center of this story. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. Dan Ravel is going to come on. He's going to tell us about a company that has done more than $63 million in sales in the past 30 days selling digital highlights. It's called Top Shot. We're going to talk a lot about it. It is the only thing that's being discussed in Action Network Slack channels right now. Everybody is jumping into the Top Shot pool. Uh, but first, my BFF, Simon Hunter. He's back. And now, we, now you're just joining us because you love us, even though NFL season is over. Since you're English, I'll give you this. Hello, Simon. Hello, Chad. Yeah, man. It's, it might be the off season, buddy, but w- there's so much movement around QB movement. It's, uh, it's as if the season is not ended. There's just so much going on right now. Well, hold on. That English accent you just did was quite good. I got like, a real British accent. If you need me to talk the whole podcast with a British accent, I could talk like this the whole show. It just would be weird because it's like, it's just not normal for me because I'm, I'm mainly American at this point, but I can be British. If you need to be British, Chad, I'll be British. Holy fuck, that's incredible. Yeah, just don't bust it out. Like if I was at bars with girls and we're talking to a girl at a bar, I'll, I'll talk with this accent and see if it'll work out. But sometimes when I drink too much, it slips back to American. So it's only really good for when I'm sober. Oh, my God. It sounds like I'm talking to a different person right now. I'm not even. Looking no, it's, at the it's weird. It's really weird. I know. I, I only talk with it when I'm like back home. So it's definitely different. Well, people don't understand that you grew up in England, that you spent a long time there. Right. Yeah, it's definitely different being back and forth from America to England. It's definitely switching up two different parts of your brain, I'm sure. You're like the Meryl Streep of gambling. The way you can do accents, it's amazing. Well, yeah, if we ever do Premier League soccer, I'll just do that accent the entire time. As long as we talk American football, I'll just do American accent. What uh, region of of England, what kind of British accent was that? Was that was that posh? Was that kind no. What was it? Nor- like Northern, like my family's from Burnley, which is like, it's like 45 minutes above uh, Manchester. It's not, it's uh it's not a place American tourists ever go. It's kind of like the true England. It's just like a old factory town. Um, that's pretty, like pretty big city. They're in the premier league, so they're pretty big, but yeah, it's not a place Americans would ever visit. Well, listen, we're going to talk about some NFL stuff today anyways, because a real live former NFL personnel director is joining us on the show. His name is Jim Monis, uh, and he spent nearly two decades in the NFL, including several years with the Bills. He was with the Eagles. He was with the Saints. Jim has one dream. One dream, Simon. He wants to become a professional better. He's been making power rankings. He's been shooting his shot. He's been going to the Simon Hunter School of Betting, shooting his shot. He will tell a story about a big win that paid for a big, big day in his life. But Jim... Why are you giving up a glamorous career in the NFL? Explain yourself. Who are you? Why are you on this podcast? What's funny is, Simon, I was working for a company in Australia in the XFL doing their statistics. I was the XFL data analyst for a company called Champion Data. They do rugby over in Australia, and the XFL hired them to do all their football stats. 
but they don't really know much about American football. So I'm always fascinated now with these accents after working with these guys in Australia. Give yeah. people a little bit of your background so they can get more details on yep. your NFL personnel journey. So I started as an area scout with the Philadelphia Eagles in the early 2000s and went to the Saints as a Southeast scout and then got a nice promotion to Buffalo as the director of player personnel. So I was in the NFL for 17 years after we hired Sean McDermott. When I say we, the owners, the Pagulas, myself and Doug Whaley, who was the general manager, the four of us did the coaching search, did the interviews. And we hired Sean McDermott, who I'd worked with in Philadelphia for a couple of years, always stayed in touch with Sean, you know, seeing him at the combine over the years and knew he was ready for, you know, for the interview for sure. And he blew everybody away, got the job. But Sean and Doug Whaley never quite hit it off. So the Pagulas obviously gave the power to Sean and Sean brought in his GM and that kicked us out. So these last four years, I've been trying to get back in the NFL, but realizing that it might not happen. Um, really have taken up, always loved gambling, did it as a kid, high school, but really got back into it now that it was becoming blowing up everywhere and really got into the analytics side of gambling because I know that my knowledge, just picking games doesn't work. I've tried that, you know, back in high school and college. I, 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 qu- I, I can't do it. I, I tried this analytic approach where I used stats and weighted them to come up with my own spreads. And it's been pretty solid. I'm not going to sit there and say, I, you know, it's like it hits around the 60% range. It's nothing, you know, it doesn't blow you away, but it's keeps you, keeps you going, keeps it fun for me. And um, I just enjoy every part of gambling. Where did you grow up? In uh, central Pennsylvania. So right near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where uh, Penn National was the horse track, um, you know, that I grew up going to and uh, when I was 18 and learned a lot at the horse track and learned how to drink cheap beer and make cheap bets and have some fun. And and I always just love, you know, I don't know a ton about horses, but I love gambling on it and just like anything else. And it's just it's another another it's just more action. <laughs> My man, you lived a life like you're in the NFL. What are you trying to bring from that to the gambling world? Because. A lot of guys I talk to, they don't have that background. And I do think it is kind of two different muscles where if you know both, if you're good at gambling and you were in that world, I mean, I only can imagine you're only going to get way better at betting the NFL because you do know what to look for and different things to look for in different players. So I just wonder how you're going to incorporate that to everything you're doing now with your numbers. You know, I really have. So I think injuries, obviously, the health in the NFL, especially the playoffs, I think you really need to pay attention to the healthy teams. And when you see a team like Tampa, who was peaking right at the end of the year, it wasn't just them peaking talent-wise. If you looked at their roster, I know their safeties were banged up a little bit against Buffalo, but there was a reason they got those guys back. They, they were preparing to get them back for the Super Bowl. And I just think it's – and you look at the Chiefs, it's, it goes the other way a little bit, where they were, they were losing some guys, especially on up front offensive line, which is a major thing that we know that backup offensive linemen, there's a big drop off. You can, you can survive some other positions, but offensive tackle, that's one you need to pay attention to. And it showed up. So I think, I think that part of the knowledge of the game helps, but honestly, you can sit there and know all the X's and O's you want and all the personnel you want. But when you put that point spread involved, it breaks, it brings everybody back on the same playing field. I think it makes, you could take Bill Belichick or any of us, and when it comes to gambling, where it humbles you, I really think that. And I think that's why I'm so fascinated with it, because it's not about how much you know. It's really about playing numbers. It really is. When you were uh, a personnel director, I want to pull back for one sec. 
Give mm-hmm. me your biggest find, what you are most proud of. Give me your biggest miss. I can't believe we didn't draft this guy. Well, the biggest miss is so easy and it haunts me every night, but we could have drafted Patrick Mahomes and the Pagulas wanted to. Um, they made it clear to us that Terry Pagula, the owner, loved Patrick Mahomes, loved him. So when we did our whole, all our research and all our studies, our whole scouting staff, our coaching staff, me included, none of us had that conviction on Mahomes that the owner did. And it, it, it you know, it drives all of us crazy now. And we've made that trade with Kansas City. And obviously with that trade, we got Trey White and the Bills used that ammo the next year. We were gone, but they used that ammo to go up and get Josh Allen. So it wasn't a complete disastrous trade. But when you look at it, you passed on Michael Jordan pretty much. And that just haunts you as a, you know, as a competitor, as an evaluator. Like, why didn't I see this? You know, you saw the great plays with Mahomes at Texas Tech. You saw all these throws. But you're thinking to yourself, it's the Big 12. Is this really going to translate? Is he really going to be able to run around and throw across his body, throw into coverage, all these crazy throws? And he's doing it. And, you know, it was just a good lesson learned for me and really has helped me. You know, I've become obsessed with studying quarterbacks now. I watch every NFL game on that NFL game pass, have my own grading scale for quarterbacks. And it's really helped me um, try to find out why I didn't really have the conviction on Mahomes that Terry Bagula had. And best find, that's a, you know, the best find thing's a tricky one because I don't like to say, like, as a staff, you make decisions together. Um, I, I thought we made a nice pick uh, the one year with Ron Darby, the defensive back. We didn't have a first round pick. We took Darby in the second round and he was a really good corner and still playing well for Washington. I thought that was a solid pick. Matt Milano was a linebacker we drafted in our last draft and Deion Dawkins, a tackle from Temple. Um, I thought those were some underrated picks we made in our last draft that, you know, those guys are good players for Buffalo. So, you know, players like that are fun. Simon and I, can tell you right now that Patrick Mahomes making those ridiculous passes, even the ones that were incomplete were gut-wrenchingly painful because we both had over four and a half sacks on, in the oh. Super Bowl. And how many times did he come close to getting sacked and get out of it? Simon, like that was disgusting what happened to us in that game. For sure. And I, I, dude, I wouldn't beat myself up too much about not getting Mahomes. Literally, we see teams giving out first-round picks for offensive linemen for cornerbacks. Did any team trade up two first-round picks or three first-round picks to go get this kid in the top two picks? No. we like. I think 30 other, 31 other teams were in the same position as you is that you really never know. Because I'm right there with you. I scout quarterbacks. I think that D-line, offensive line, these are some of the most important positions in football. And I love watching film on guys, especially coming up to the draft. And I remember watching this kid's tape and – thinking, man, he, he looks all right, but does he have the body? Can this kid take hits? I mean, he looked like he weighed 140 pounds in college. And sure enough, man, he, he's really changed NFL. So I wouldn't beat myself up too much about that. But I think you're dead on, man, about it, it's – that's why I was asking a question about what you're bringing from NFL because I think a lot of it goes into the numbers. And that's good that you're taking that into account because the spread is just a game changer where – you're, you're literally trying to find a half point of value. I mean, Chad, we can't tell you, we lost a million dollars this year because three different games were decided by half a point. So it's one of those where you really, you really do, you need to really dive into the numbers because that's, if you're going to make money in this business, that's where you make the money, looking at the numbers. And I, I don't know how you feel, Simon and Chad, about this, but the NFL, 
the money line parlays, I think, are just out there to be had. I mean, I think I think anybody can beat anybody, really, in the NFL. Now, I know, obviously, there's some gaps. There's some weeks, no, but I, you can't be afraid to throw down those money line parlays and, and taking those odds because underdog, I mean, anybody can beat anybody. Well, look, number one, let's be clear. While Jim beats himself up over Patrick Mahomes, there is there is one GM who did trade up to get a quarterback in that draft. He traded up, traded up to get Mitch Trubisky. A friend of mine, I worked with Ryan in New Orleans for years. Um, I, I, I feel for him. I know he probably thinks about it just like I do. And Simon, that was nice of you to say what you said too, because you're right. I mean, technically Miles Garrett was the first pick of that draft and that was a bad pick. I mean, it should have been Mahomes number one and Sean Watson should have been clear cut number two. So I do agree with you that the whole NFL misevaluated those quarterbacks, but I can't imagine. I know Ryan, I know they're sweating bullets in Chicago. I, I, I don't, if they didn't sneak in this year, I don't think they were going to survive. Um, but I, somehow they're, they're getting another chance. And, you know, I'd like another chance too sometime. But in the meantime, let's have some fun. How hard is it to get back in? You know, it's tricky when you put, you know, you've, I have 17 years in. So, you know, do you want to be an area scout again? Well, do teams want to pay you the salary that you, you know, kind of are at 17 years in? Or do you want to get a young kid out of college because, you know, a little cheaper and you know how that goes. And so that is tricky to get back in. It's a who, you know, business, just like anything else. Um, so you evaluate, you can use some of the stuff that you know for betting, but like you said, the number sort of changes and it levels the playing field for everybody. So how much can you sort of, when you're doing your system, how much do you have to pull back on the bias you may have from what you know about players on the field and what you know about evaluating players? It's so hard. It's so hard to trust the, the, whatever you come up with, whatever your system is when you're gambling. And I think you would agree. It's some days when it cranks out a certain team, it's just like, Oh, like, are you sure I really have to take this team? I don't like this guy, but you know, I think that goes back to the playing percentages and, if, if you just stick with it, it, it was hard for me to do, especially in like college basketball. Sometimes, you know, you're just blind, you know, you're just going in blind. I, it's not like I watch all these teams, but you know, it, it's been helpful for me and it's really been good in basketball as well as football. Well, explain the basketball. Like, what are you doing there? How are so you basketball? Numbers? So what I do is just rank, you know, I came out, talked to some of my friends who are division one college head co- coaches and just kind of talk to them about what stats they find important that correlate to the good teams. And, and then I looked at it and started paying attention to their rankings. And when I just started messing with it, it, it was a, it was a way for me to come up with my own spread. And it's almost, you know, it's pretty accurate. Like today, I didn't really have any that jump out. There's really no strong college basketball plays for me today. You know, yesterday was Hampton. Well, they laid an egg. They're getting, you know, start off. Say, I grabbed it early in the morning at five. It went down to four. So I'm saying, wow, everybody's on Hampton. That always scares me. And sure, sure enough, they laid an egg in the first half. Lost, lost by 18 in the first half. Won by eight in the second half. But, you know, but like I said, those are the, you know, those are the days. That's what you have to suck it up with. I'm, I'm taking Hampton, you know, on a Monday evening, and I'm just sitting there against Longwood. Couldn't tell you one player on either team. Although Hampton's best player, I looked it up. Their best player is from Buffalo. 
Yeah, you sound like you're uh you sound like you're in deep, man. I'm bad. <laughs> so when I was in high school, I mean, we used to play blackjack and gamble with baseball cards playing blackjack. I mean, this is something we kind of just grew up with in central Pennsylvania is just hardcore sport gamblers. And it's just what we love. We still all talk about it. My friend takes bets back in central PA, still old school bookie. So I'm a you know, guy I went to high school with, so I'm proud of him for sticking with it all these years. And just, I don't know. It's just one of those things you grew up with. So. Yeah. I would say if you're, if you're trying to get into this life, uh, the gambling is half of it, but money management is literally the most important part. So that's, that's one of those where, if you're just getting back into it, it'll, it'll take a little bit because there's just highs and lows and that's with any kind of job. Um, but eventually if you do it long-term, you're just numb to it, man. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, me and Chad, I, I couldn't pick a game right in the playoffs, man, but like I nailed the Super Bowl dead on. And that's one of those where it's like, I had to keep trusting my system, keep trusting myself. Cause if it's the minute you try to switch it up, that's when it catches up. To you. So <laughs> it it, it's definitely you. a grind. Well, look, that's what happened to us all year. And this, this actually could be, there might be some parallels to scouting and player personnel in that you have certain beliefs and you've got to abide by those beliefs. And if things don't work out, if you miss the Patrick Mahomes, if you miss somebody else along the way, do you all of a sudden throw the baby out with the bathwater because you made a bad decision all year, Simon and I were making bad decisions because we weren't trusting our eyes and we weren't trusting, we were, we were following our eyes, not trusting our numbers and looking at what was happening on the field, especially earlier in the year. And it was sort of playing, playing tricks in our head. When you're a personnel guy, how do you, how do you manage that? It, you want to talk about over-evaluating and getting in your own head. The, the quarter, the Deshaun Watson and Mahomes is a perfect example where we're all sitting there saying, well, how many Clemson quarterbacks and Texas Tech quarterbacks have there been that all fail in the NFL because they're playing in that, you know, a good college system and they're putting up numbers, but it doesn't necessarily translate to the NFL. So that gets in your head and you're sitting there watching those guys and you're jaw dropping when you watch some of their plays and how, like, wow, that's incredible. But then you're almost not giving them credit for it because you're saying, well, I mean, that's college play. That's, you know, you can't get You can't get away with that in the NFL. So to your point, yes, it gets into your head. And I've had to block out for me gambling. I've blocked out my instincts as an evaluator, as, as far as two teams are playing. I've seen both teams. I feel good. about. But if the numbers say the other way for me, I have to trust the numbers. And that was hard. That's hard to do. And it was really, I'm going to tell you when I, I'm going to tell you when I almost lost my mind was the Saints Vikings playoff game when I had the Saints money line and Diggs makes that that I I still to this day I was living down Folly Beach South Carolina I was eating piece of pizza celebrating because I was I couldn't believe I, I drilled it I was like I drilled the Saints money line and when that play happened I'll just never forget it I just like dropped everything steps into To your point, Simon, since that, I don't think there's anything, nothing phases me anymore. I just laugh, laugh, turn off the TV and go to bed. A, do you worry that talking about gambling on a podcast will limit your options to go back into the NFL? And B, would you rather be gambling? I would rather be gambling, but I'm not worried about this because if I am fortunate enough to get another opportunity, hey, I don't, 
you know, obviously I want to collect the paycheck. I have a family to feed, you know, I'll take the, I'll give up gambling to keep the, you know, to keep the steady paycheck coming for the family. But no, this is where I want to be. I could be on here every day with you guys. I, I, you, what you guys do really, you guys have changed the game and it's really helped me when I, I, you know, I subscribed to action network two years ago and it really was huge for me. It really, I could see that you guys were all talking numbers and I love that. I was like, finally, some people are just stat heavy. Like, no, everybody can give an opinion. Oh, I like that team, but I, I like when you back it up with facts. See, see that Simon, we are changing the game. You are. <laughs> and that's what like people that try to come at me on Twitter about everything. I'm just like, listen, their site is just trying to help you. They're not out here telling you, you have to take this side. They're literally giving you the numbers and the data and you have to form your own opinion from that. So that's why I try to harp to people because the more you do it and the more you study lines, you can see patterns. And that's how you start to get really good at this. Cause you can just not, it's not just trusting your gut because you're looking at the numbers, but you just get a feeling where you go, wow, this is, this is one of those spots where you should load up on. So that's the key to watching these numbers. Cause you need to know when to take these big hits. You need to know when to load up on good bets. All right. So Jim, give us an example, the opposite of, of when it hasn't worked out the opposite of the saints money line. <laughs> when did you load up? And how did it work out for you? Well, Chicago at 2018, I believe. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so I just couldn't get enough of that team. And they actually, they hit my number. They hit the formula for me early in the tournament. So I, I bet on them. And then I just started riding them. I said, I, I don't care. I'm just riding this team. I just fell in love with them. It, so there's the luck part of it. I mean, they didn't necessarily every, they weren't always a formula play for me, but I still just kept saying, I don't care. This team has something going. I'm just going to keep riding them. And the good, the actual incredible thing is I actually backed off of them. Once they made it to the, that last game, I was like, you know what, this, I, I can't do it anymore. And didn't go as big. I wanted to make sure and ended up paying for my wedding. Ended up, I got some, um, uh, cornhole boards, Loyola Chicago basketball custom made cornhole boards for our wedding. And everybody was like, what, what's this Loyola Chicago? I'm like, they, they paid for this. So it's funny you mentioned that Loyola Chicago year. I remember that was the first year action had March Madness. A bunch of us went out to Vegas and we were doing a whole bunch of things from there. And I was at the Westgate. I had registered on my phone to use the app and I kept putting in a bet of a pretty hefty size for Loyola Chicago, because I really liked them. Like, the, like you said, like our numbers, all of our experts were showing Loyola Chicago's, at least in the first game against Miami, a great side. Yep. Yep. So I'm loading up on, on Loyola, but the app keeps timing out before it accepts my bet. And mm -hmm. so I keep reloading it. At some point, there's an announcement over the loudspeaker that says, if you've been making bets and the app is timing out, don't worry, the bets have been made. <gasps> we're having a technical glitch. So now I'm three, probably with the size I was betting, I was probably six units in on Loyola. And I could have gone to the window at that point and been like, look, you guys had this glitch. I need to get some money out. I only want to bet it once. I decided to let it ride. I think they were one point, two point dogs in that opening game against Miami. And they ended up winning the game in the last second. And so like I made my whole bankroll for the weekend on that one game, I don't think I went to a cash machine for like six months because like I cashed out from the app because I wasn't going back to Vegas for a while. So it kind of worked out perfectly. Uh, so we can all appreciate uh, Chicago. 
That's an awesome story. That's like playing blackjack when you start getting, you know, you get with those hands where you just keep splitting and splitting and splitting. And all of a sudden you're like, oh man, here it goes. I got five hands. Sometimes it just works. Jim Monis, uh, aspiring professional better, former (laughs) personnel man for the Buffalo Bills, the uh, New Orleans Saints, Philadelphia Eagles. We're rooting for you, man. I want you to come back on uh, as, as certainly as college basketball goes on. Keep us posted on how things are going. I want this to work out for you. Good luck, man. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like you're really into it. I really appreciate you guys taking this time and giving me this opportunity. It really was fun. Thanks, guys. Good luck. All right. Next up on the podcast, Simon is still with us. Darren Ravel. Darren Ravel is coming back because there is something happening. We've talked a lot about memorabilia. Uh on Action Network platforms. And Darren does a show called Buyer's Market um, that is brought to you by eBay. And it covers the memorabilia space uh, and sort of the rapid rise in what is happening in that market, jerseys, shoes, cards, et cetera. Over the last, say, 90 days, there is a platform called NBA Top Shop. And on it, fans are buying trading and selling these encrypted digital highlights. Okay. So if you aren't aware, they like, you don't understand why people are buying highlights. They can see for free on YouTube. We are going to explain this, but I'm telling you right now, like this is the conversation in sort of the risk, the speculation, the, the betting investing space that we all trade in here. And I use that term very specifically. Uh, Dan Ravel has been writing about it. He spoke to the CEO last night. That interview is going to air later in the week on Action Network. We're going to do a clip of it um, today. Darren, how are you, brother? This is all part of one thing, which is the crypto conversation people not wanting to invest in mutual funds like their parents have at 5% a year, wanting to invest passionately about something they care about, plus the gambling element. That was not just my quote. That was a quote from Ross Hoffman, who just became president of Golden Auctions with the Chernin Group, parent company, or one of the investors of the Action Network, investing in Golden Auctions and putting $40 million in. This is the same thing with NBA Top Shot. In my 20 years of reporting, I have never gotten as many questions about one thing in such a short period of time than I have gotten over NBA Top Shot. In fact, I got three calls today. What is this? Explain it to me. Why do I have to get into it? So basically what it is, is on the primary market, just like trading cards, you're buying a pack. So yesterday you were trying to get one of 50,000 packs that had a couple highlights in it that cost $14 a piece. So they raised about 500 grand. And once you get that, you open the pack and it automatically becomes part of your digital wallet. It's encrypted on the blockchain. So it is then yours. When people say, is this crypto? Well, it's a non-fungible token. And a non-fungible token means that it's for the security. That's why the blockchain is working. You don't have to pay in crypto. Someone like Chad Millman doesn't ever have to see crypto. 
all it is is you could pay with credit card, you can get money in cash, but the blockchain is what is the the part of it, which is the security that once I get this highlight, this is my highlight. It's encrypted. It's one out of 49. It's four out of 49. And that's how it works. This is what I don't get. You didn't tell us why is it worth anything where I can just go to YouTube to see this highlight. You can get any picture on any trading card for free too. I can print it out on my printer. I, I get that argument, but my whole argument is what is what is the next NBA top shop? It, are there are there digital uh, videos going to be worth the same? Or is there going to be a different market? Because right now I get it. They're the only ones doing this. There's going to be three more of these things are going to pop up in the next year or two. So that's why I'm just trying to understand. These people are paying like 50000 for these highlights right now, which is pretty crazy in itself. And the market dictates what's something worth. Whatever someone's willing to pay for something, that's what it's worth. I get that whole point. I just don't get the longevity of it. I don't get well, these people are paying 50K. You're telling me this guy is going to be able to sell this for 100K next year? Like, what is the longevity of okay, these so, things they're buying? So this has been helped by what has happened in trading cards. People have bought cards, right? And they have had them stored away somewhere else. PWCC, this company says, okay, you have the card. You're going to store it in our vault. You won't have to pay the taxes because it's in one of the five states that you don't have to pay the taxes with. And so you own it digitally, even though it's a physical card. So that has kind of helped this along. You do not own any of the rights to the actual highlight, just to make that very clear. They explain their relationship with that. This is a top shot, which is Dapper Labs is the company. They came up with their own blockchain called Flow. They have an exclusive relationship with the NBA. The NBA can end that relationship at any time, I believe. But whatever has been distributed out is on the blockchain. In other words, no one can take at least what they've explained. No one can take away what you bought, even if they have a relationship with another company that comes up with one of these non-fungible tokens, NFTs. Like me and you, Darren, right when we got this phone call, let's me and you make a digital market. We take vintage NBA moments from the 70s, the 60s and the 80s. And we make our own little company right now and start selling but you those. Can't but we can't because we don't have the rights. And that's what I mean, though, is how, as soon as the NBA says, OK, let's let it be a free market and let everyone do this. and We'll let them pay us for these rights to these different things. When is that going to happen? That's just going to take down this whole thing, because that's why I'm, this I is, put a this little is bit the whole argument, Simon, with what, a nascent market, like when something's coming out, how will it develop? Right. We're not really sure. But what I do know right now is just like trading cards, the NBA licenses it. The NBA decides to cut their own highlight and then they gave it to Top Shot. Now, Top Shot's only been able to do 1920 season and 2021 season, with the exception of one. They did a flashback pack, which is 2013. In fact, I asked uh, Rohan Gergozlu, who's the CEO of Dapper Labs, the parent company of NBA Top Shot, about that exact thing. Are you looking for great past highlights? Can that be introduced as part of this deal? It can, absolutely. It's definitely part of the deal. But the idea is it would be super easy for us to take the most iconic moments in history and, and sort of turn them into collectibles and sell. We wanted to first start with what about everyday games? What about what's happening right now? Can, can we extract the most iconic moments there? Because that's actually a much richer field and it's, it sort of happens all the time. But we don't want to do the things we know will appeal to a billion NBA fans until we can handle a billion NBA fans. That, that's really the mindset is we do want to have some awesome content for beta users, but the kinds of things you're, you're sort of talking about, at minimum six months away, probably longer. Part of me says some of these highlights aren't that good. 
Like, what are we buying? Right. Like if you were to tell me I got one of 49 of the Jordan dunk from the 1988 all-star game dunk contest, I'd be like, okay, but you're paying $5,000 for a layup by LaMelo ball in his debut. Like, so that's for me. That's an interesting one. Right. Last night, last night I went on, I'm looking for stuff to buy. What I'm seeing are here is an Eric Pascal jumper. Here is a De'Aaron Fox layup. And I'm like, and then people are trying to sell them for $225 to $970. There doesn't seem to be any logic or value in the market. Like, Dad, I don't we come at a time, we come at a time where people just took a blank vessel of a company like GameStop. They said, let's take the dingiest company that has popcorn stains on its carpet from 1993 and let's let's take all these dingy companies and let's fill up this vessel and pretend like it's a legit company so when you're telling me it doesn't make sense just realize the the stock market for a couple days was taken over on something that completely made no sense so it's against the background of all this and i'm not saying i'm a, a top shot proponent i'm just saying people are going along with this it's happened at a time when the card companies, you know, when all the on eBay last night, a garbage pail kid sold for thirty thousand dollars. There's a lot of people who think a whole lot of stuff doesn't make sense right now. <laughs> well, what's amazing is last night, literally, as I'm scrolling through Top Shot and slacking with you and slacking with Justin Fan um, about this, who who know quite a bit. My older son came home. He had gone to the mall because he wanted to get a new controller for one of his video games, the GameStop in the mall no longer existed. It was gone. And <laughs> like, it's, it's like, this is the world we're living in. And that, that's what I think is so interesting about the memorabilia and the Top Shot and what you said in the beginning. I don't think it's about people not wanting to invest in their parents' mutual funds. I think it's about a fundamental lack of belief in the value of investing in the stock market by a very specific generation of people who are now like Simon getting more and more comfortable with risk and wanting to own that risk and have more control over that risk. I think, I think that's a great point. I think in a, in a lot of sense, we are now, we are now a nation of gamblers. If you think about crypto, crypto is 24 seven. We, when we gamble, a game ends. There's a win or a loss and it's finite and we walk away. People ask me, why don't you invest in crypto? And I say, well, my life is surrounded by gambling anyway. I'm going to wake up in the morning any day and say, wow, I was closing my eyes. I lost $4,000, $10,000, $20,000. Like, but we are between the stock market, between crypto, uh, between real gambling, we are we are heightened every day. And part of that is due to covid. We need our head. It is Groundhog Day every day. We need our human psyche to get more excited and we need to create that excitement because we're not traveling. We're not doing anything that previously got our dopamine going. And that's why we're we, we are creating for us to be on edge. And it and it's incredible. And and yes, Simon, guess what? I'm trying to figure out what real markets are, too. I bought this Dwayne Johnson rock bumblebee card for seven hundred and twenty five dollars. And I have a chance to sell it for twenty five thousand dollars. And I'm like, 
should I hold on or should I take pro- it's 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 like live betting every day in the memorabilia space. And that's what I was going to say. This is definitely the golden age of this. Like we've never experienced anything like this where everyone just has time and the wealthier have just gotten wealthier. So a lot of people do have extra money right now and they're willing to spend it because they're not taking vacations. They're not going out to dinner every night. They're hanging around at home and they want to experience things like they did in their childhood, which is collecting cards. And that's what I asked you about this whole Logan Paul thing, man, because as someone that I'm really into Pokemon cards, like when I was a kid, that was our thing in the late 90s, early 2000s. And he bought a box and it's a first edition box, which is very rare. So he ended up paying 350000 for this box. He's now sold each packet individually to people to be on his YouTube page. He's going to have a live break on February 27th. He, he, these people have paid him $1.4 million to be a part yeah, of this. Golden, through golden auctions, they bought Golden that. auctions. Yep. So, so is this one of these things where, like, I just sold not even a graded hologram uh, Blastoise first edition. I sold it for $3,000. It has whitening on the back of it. The guy didn't care. He paid me 3000 on eBay just for this card. Where just last year, these were going for two, 300 on eBay. Is this the same thing in Pokemon where it's a boom right now in this whole industry? Let me let me give you a, a something that I did that that was I was thinking about the value of uh, the cards that are beat up, right? Because you just told me the guy didn't care. I bought I I bought uh, twenty five of the best cards over the last fifty years in a PSA one. Okay, the Michael Jordan has a pinhole in it. For God's sakes, it's <laughs> it's as Chad would say, it's gross. Okay. I paid six. I, I'm like, I can't believe I'm paying sixteen hundred fifty dollars for a Michael Jordan with a, a pinhole and like maybe a water stain on it. I have no idea where this has been. On Thursday, a PSA one record is going to be set for the Jordan. I think it's going to be about five thousand, which means the cheapest Jordan you can get, eighty six Jordan rookie, is going to be five thousand. So it's happening everywhere. Pokemon just hits it in a different place because, but Pokemon, remember the people who get excited about Pokemon are 25 to 35. The people who get excited for Jordan are 35 to 50 and those people have more money. So it's kind of happening at a greater scale, but we are, we're just coming into money. And this time I can't even, when I first said to Chad, I'm going to cover, you know, memorabilia for us. Cause I love it. I have a collection. I had no idea that I'd have to have 200 uh, hearts on eBay so I could follow all this. And that it, since most of these auctions are ending at 1159, I'd, I'd be up. I have like a Monday night football game every night, just following this on. E- I can't, I, I can't go to sleep because I need to report at midnight, which is when a lot of these close, what the hell's going on. That's where all the energy is. So I couldn't even imagine this market in a million years, but it's so exciting. I think it has such a parallel to gambling. It's almost like being alive better. And I do think that you can, you said the rich are getting richer. You can make calls when you don't have money, like a, like a better, you can make calls. If you bought, Raw Serena Williams 2003 net pro cards, you know, once over 14,000, you could get it graded, turn it around and make money. So I think there's opportunity here. Uh, and it's, it's definitely an exciting time. 
Yeah, and that's like what you said with the Pokemon. That's what I'm interested in because statistically, my generation right now is much wealthier at this age, like the high, like the one percent of my generation, than the baby boomers. So there is a lot of money, especially with this whole crypto boom going on. A lot of kids my age. I bought Bitcoin when I was 18, 19, 20, 22, 23, like a bunch of different times I kept buying Bitcoin and different cryptocurrencies. So that's what I'm just interested in right now is that I just think people are selling these cards right now where I think it's just going to keep booming. It just seems like one of these markets that it, it kind of seems like it's snowballing here where people keep saying it's going to fall off. You just said that, that random card you posted the other night of Michael Jordan is just in a photo. I mean, just in a card of a guy dunking the ball. That sold for like a thousand bucks. You said it was like a hundred bucks just a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was. It's just crazy right now. You, th- you, th- you thought betting was going to be normalized by legalization. Betting is normalized by the world now. Everything is betting. So when I was going through the Top Shot stuff, because I've, I've been thinking about, you know, and Darren, you and I have talked a lot about this memorabilia that interests me. And I would go through golden auctions and like, navigate through and see, is there something I like? And, and it's impossible for you to win, by the way, a golden auction. Yeah. Right? And like, and also <laughs> like there was nothing that was speaking to me. And I was talking to this about my wife and she's like, if you're going to invest in something, make it something you like, like, don't, don't try to win the market on this. And she's right. And then, so last night I was going through the top shot stuff and I actually found myself liking the experience of the digital highlight more than the experience of the card. I See, I'm not- shocked that you say that. I know, but you know, I'm a very forward-thinking guy. I liked knowing that highlight was mine, and I liked almost being able to watch it on a loop. A the lot way they're like- packaging it is interesting. The way they're grading it, the way it's a limited edition, like that's fascinating to me. Where I kind of lose it is because I just told you about the actual highlight and whether it's good or not. Where I lose it is when someone says to me, well, it doesn't matter if the highlight's good. It's just an encrypted number. I'm just playing numbers games. It's like, Simon, as someone said to you, like, you don't need to enjoy the sport. Like what you're doing is you're just playing math. That's all you're doing. Like, and this is what they're telling me that it's, it's kind of just math. There's only so many LeBrons. This is one out of 49 or one out of 200. And it doesn't matter if LeBron's blocking or dunking the ball. It's just, this is a cosmic and this is one out of 49 and this is one out of 249. And that to me, that's a, as a collector, it's a little bit harder not to look at the beauty of something. Right. And that's why, like, I might sound old here, but I love having the cards. Like, I literally have a lockbox where I keep my baseball cards. I have some old NBA cards and I have my Pokemon cards. Like, I have a Charizard first edition. Some of them are selling right now for $250,000. Now, mine's not graded because I'm too scared to send it in the mail to PSA. But it's one of those where I don't know what the market is, but I love that I can go there and I open up this lockbox and I take out this card and I look at it where I know these people, they love to go on their phones and they can just look at their highlights all the time. But it's just different. I don't know. I just think I'm in on it. Like I bought Top Shots because I don't want to miss the wave. It's the same with crypto. I didn't understand what the hell I was doing. I bought Bitcoin. I was just trying to ride the wave because people were just like, hey, man, it's a $200 investment right now in a Bitcoin. Why not just buy it? So I said, why the hell not? You're right. And that's one of those things where I. that's why this Top Shot, you don't know if it's viable yet. I don't know. A lot of people talking about don't know. But it's one of those where if you're getting in on these $14 packs and you can sell one card for $1,600, why not? If you got nothing to do at night, hop on Top Shot and buy these cards. That's why like people are getting upset at these people because they're talking about it so much. I think they're just excited and it's an exciting new thing. So there's, I'm in on the no top doubt shot. about the excitement. Sixty three million dollars has been traded on the marketplace in the last 30 days, uh, which is which is amazing. Now, they have a lot of kinks. 
our story on the Action Network and our interview. We'll talk about those, including, uh, you know, that the that the CEO owns five million dollars worth of Top Shots and whether that's a conflict or not. Um, and how he he plans to m- maybe you know get out of it, and whether there's pressure there. They have problems moving money because the head of product was also the head of fraud. I mean, th- this is a small company. This is a small company, okay. Uh, and then I would just go back to you saying, like, if you think that the reaction people have to decide whether in the digital world their reaction to all the digital is to go more digital or to go physical. For me, it's to go physical. If I have a Martin Luther King autograph and it's Martin Luther King Day and I'm on the Zoom with my daughter and I show people the Martin Luther King autograph and the kids are like, oh, my God, is that paper from 1963? Like, I wouldn't have ever said the paper. We say, is that a Martin Luther King autograph? But they were attached to the paper because they wanted it. They're so their lives are so digital that they're fixated on the paper being that old. And to me, that said, I do think that even kids are going to value the physical as their lives become more and more digital. I think that's interesting. I love this top shot conversation. I love this memorabilia conversation. We're obviously going to be doing more of it, Darren. You've been covering it nonstop. We will continue to cover it. Simon, I did not know you could do a British accent as well as you can do. I did not know you collected Pokemon cards. And these are two things that in two years of doing this podcast are brand new to me. And for that, I am thankful. Like these, like I'm literally going to go to my parents' house during this off season. I'm just going to be going through my, like their basement trying to find old Pokemon cards. Cause that's what's been happening is I've been finding these old cards and some of these things are worth a couple thousand dollars now. So like, that's what I've been trying to tell people. I mean, me and you could talk off uh, air Darren about, it, but like, I would love to do a, like a pack break with you or whatever. Cause I have like unopened packs and different things that of Pokemon that, that people are just really into it right now. Like, I just know that you love trade memorabilia. Yeah, and, and I would say for people, don't keep saying it's going to go up and up and up and up. That's always a dangerous statement. If you can take money off the table, whether you want it to reinvest in something that you think might be safer or a better investment, do it. Uh, just because the, the whole up and up and up and it's an alternative asset class and more people are getting into it, well, things are going to shift around. One day people will care about a Dwayne Johnson card and one day they won't. And one day they'll care that there's a population of five of these random Michael Jordan cards that you've never seen. And one day they'll be like, nope. So uh, that's also a very interesting part of covering this whole All right, boys, Simon Hunter, Darren Ravel. That's a great conversation about Top Shot, about memorabilia. Like I said, we'll be doing more and more of it. Uh, Fascinating markets, fascinating way to think about gambling and risk and speculation. I'm glad we have it. I'm glad it's opening up a whole new world for for all of us who are interested in the space. This has been the favorites from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman for Simon Hunter, for Darren Ravel. Download the podcast from Apple Podcasts, from Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, love you.